You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. It says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, together with some of the Menuhites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. People came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom has come to fight against you. They are already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the new courtyard. He said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in the land and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name and have said, If disaster comes on us, sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and before you, and for your, for your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you because of our distress, and you will hear and deliver. Now, here are the Amorites, Moabites, and inhabitants of Mount Seir. You did not let Israel invade them when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, but Israel turned away from them and did not destroy them. Look how they repay us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do, but we will look to you. So Lord, I ask that you would speak to us from this word, that we would hear clearly from you, that we would see what you would have us to do. Lord, we don't know what to do, but we know you do. And so we look to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. What a powerful statement. What a powerful statement, and one that we need, I think, heading into a new year. It would have been a really good reminder for me. I think I really would have benefited much of being reminded of this often going into the year of the pandemic. We do not know what to do. That's obvious. But we look to you. We lived by this prayer when we merged the two churches together to create Redeeming Life here in Bountiful. I feel like I need this prayer as I'm raising teenagers. I don't know what to do, but I will look to you. Maybe you need this prayer. Maybe this is the prayer you need for the upcoming year. We don't know what to do, but we, but we look to you. Or you could put yourself in there and you could say it like this. I don't know what to do, but I look to you. Jehoshaphat was a good, faithful king. Uh, He was the king of Judah, and and mostly he was seen as really faithful and really good. Um, Look back, actually, over at 2 Chronicles 17. Just flip a couple pages over. I'd say it'd be up on the screen, but holy cow, they got it. Fantastic, they got it up there. It might be up there. 2 Chronicles uh, 17, look at verses 3 through 6. This is about Jehoshaphat. It says... His son Jehoshaphat, 
Oops, I jumped. I went three, verse three. He jumped out to three. Now, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked by his commands, not according to the practices of Israel, which was the nation to the north. So the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. Then all Judah brought him tribute, and he had riches and honor in abundance. His mind rejoiced in the Lord's ways, and he again removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. Now he did stumble a little bit later than this. He got himself into a little bit of trouble, um, but that wasn't everything. And so then later we see in First uh, Chronicles, excuse me, Second Chronicles nineteen two through three, it says, "Because you have done these things, referring to his sin, the Lord's wrath is on you. However, some good is still found in you." So this is a good, faithful king, but now he's got a big problem. He's got a big problem. These three armies, kind of off to the to the east on the other side of the Dead Sea, have, have alliance themselves together. And now together they are coming against Judah. Judah is the nation in the south. Israel is a nation in the north. And, and verse 2 says these armies were vast. Right? They were vast. So Jehoshaphat calls everyone together and he says, look, we, we need to pray. We need to be dedicated to prayer. So he calls for a fast, which is a, is a method of prayer where you you forgo your meal times, you go for, forgo your food, which back then you had to spend a lot of time preparing food and whatnot, so that you could give 100% of your attention to prayer. He said, look, we're going to fast, and we're going to give 100% of our attention to prayer. And then verse 4 says that all the people came from all over the place. They came there to the temple in Jerusalem to seek God together. This was serious business. It was a big problem, and it was serious. They had no idea what to do, but they knew they needed to do one thing, seek the Lord. They knew they needed to do that. We don't know what to do, but we will look to you. So if you're one of God's people, you look to God. That's what God's people do. It's just cooked into the definition. So this morning, I want us to examine this particular situation, Josiah's dilemma here, excuse me, Jehoshaphat's dilemma here from, from three Three particular angles, right? Or, or maybe three avenues of approach. We're all coming from different directions, but they're all going to get us to the same place. The name of these streets we're going to go down, these perspectives we're going to look at are fear, humility, and attention. Okay, so let's start by, by traveling down this, this fear perspective. So first, notice that Jehoshaphat was afraid. How do I know that? Because verse 3 literally says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was afraid. The situation was big. He's afraid. And there's a good reason for him to be afraid. Three armies, three nations, three people groups had banded together to attack him. That's not great. That's scary. Right? And the people of Israel had another problem going on already. They were in this sort of weird uh, problem with the rest of the tribes of Israel, there was a civil war, and ten of the tribes broke off, and two of the tribes were there where Jerusalem is. That was Judah down in the south, and the ten tribes were Israel. And they actually had this really weird sort of Cold War thing going on where occasionally they sort of got along, but most of the time they totally didn't, and they were kind of fighting each other. And so it was weird, and it was difficult, and it took troops, and it took resources. Second Chronicles 17 
Well, 1 through 2 says Jehoshaphat became the king and strengthened himself against Israel. That sounds pretty good, but he's got to fortify himself against this nation to the north. He stationed troops in every fortified city of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. And so he's already dealing with this tension, this, this difficulty with the nation to the north, his, his northern border. He's already got a huge problem, and now three more armies are coming at him. They're going to make war with him. This is a good reason to be afraid. I think it's important that we, we remember being afraid is not a sin in and of itself. It is not a sin to be afraid. Fear is an emotion. Fear is an emotion that has been given to us by God. It serves an important purpose. There's, there's a reason we have this emotion in us. Okay, For one, it keeps us from doing really stupid things that may cause us to die and win a Darwin Award in the process. The winners of those awards won them because they apparently had no fear or they had been drinking way too much. Fear helps us not to do dumb things. It also helps us to know when we should run. Like when a tiger suddenly jumps out in your front lawn. Like, run, lock yourself in. Fear, help me make those decisions. It's actually a good emotion when it does what it's supposed to do. Sometimes fear isn't like that. It's not like the tiger at your door and you just have this adrenaline surging. Sometimes it's, it's sort of this slow... Um, slow burn, slow rumbling thing. Sometimes it's a cancer diagnosis and thinking about the uncertainty of the future. Right? Or it could be a downturn in the economy and a concern that you're going to have to close your business. Or it could be an invading army that's coming across a border right? and it's changing everything in your whole life. It's going to turn your world upside down. Or it might be the first day at a new school or the first day in a new job. There are all sorts of things that can elicit this this fear emotion in us. Having that fear emotion come isn't a sin. It's what we do with our fear that may or may not be the sin. Let's look and see what Jehoshaphat did. Verse 3. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid and he resolved to seek the Lord. Did you hear that? He was afraid. Is that really loud and ringy? I'm gonna, it's really ringy up here. He was afraid, and he resolved to seek the Lord. And then verse 12, when you get there, it says, We do not know what to do, but we look to you. What would a typical king or a president or a prime minister have done in this situation, in this fear? Right, what would they have done? Would they have looked to God? No, look to the advisors. We've got a problem. Where are my advisors? I need a joint chiefs of staff in here. I need to get some political advisors in here. I need the experts in here. I need some plans. I need to look at something stat right now. Give me some options. We're going to pull some trigger somewhere. Get all my people. They looked to all those people around them, right? But what did Jehoshaphat do? He looked to the Lord. He sought God. Being afraid, when we have that fear, is an opportunity for us to turn to God. Fear should be the thing that's ringing the bells that causes us to go, oh, I need God right now. I need to pray right now. It's not sinful to have the fear. It's not sinful to have a sense of nervousness or have anxiety. It's how you respond to those things. Right? Just staying afraid, just camping out in 
pure worry or pure nervousness, that's not good. Adding more fuel to the fear by running around in a panic isn't good. Right? And forgetting to look to the Lord isn't good either. These things aren't good. Jehoshaphat was resolved. He was set to seek the Lord. Now would be a great time. It's the last day of 2023. Now would be a great time to, to set yourself, to resolve yourself, or to set a resolution to say, I am going to turn to God every single time I sense fear or worry and anxiety in 2024. See what a difference that might do for your year. That's God's way of calling you to pray. Feeling nervous? Pray. I'm afraid? Pray. Every time you feel worried, every time you feel afraid, right then and there, because God's people look to God. That's what we do. This brings us to the next avenue, the next perspective I want us to look at, humility. Okay, Jehoshaphat's situation shows tremendous humility. Actually, the situation doesn't. He does. He shows us tremendous humility. He didn't try to gather up a bunch of other plans and try those out and see how they worked and then turn to God when all else failed. God wasn't his last option. It was his, <clears throat> his first option. <clears throat> it was his first option. We're good at that, right? We try to fix all of our own messes on our own first, right? I've tried this. I've tried that. I guess I should pray. All those didn't work, so, so I'll turn to God. It's almost as if we're afraid to bother God. Well, it's small. It's trivial. He, he doesn't want to hear from me. I don't want to bother him. Now, even though we lose patience with people, and some of us more quickly than others, even though our mercy has its limits and we, just, we're, we're, we get really burned out with that, God's not like us. Not in this way. His mercy is amazing. His patience is outstanding. We cannot annoy him by coming to him too much. He wants us to come to him constantly with everything, nothing too big, nothing too small, all the time. He wants to be hearing from us constantly. And if you do not believe me, I have a homework assignment for you. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, is your reading homework for the day. Go check that out. It's also on the version app in our event. God wants to hear from us. He's not going to be annoyed. And then we jump in on our own, See, when we try to deal with our own problems before going to the Lord in prayer and seeking Him in His Word, we're saying something, aren't we? You realize when we do that, we're saying what's really in our heart. We know better than God. Why wouldn't we go to God right off the bat? Oh, because I think I, I'm going to try my own plan. I have a better idea. I know better than God. I know how to fix my... I'm going to give it a try. Our ideas are better than God's ideas. Right, there's something so refreshing, so humble in my soul when I see my children and some of the other children start with prayer. It teaches me, so, like, they, they like, we don't have anything. Well, we better pray. My kids are so good about that. It blows my mind every time. Oh, we should pray for that person. Oh, I was actually complaining about that person. Hmm, you're right. We should pray. We should pray. Uh, for the person broke down on the side of the road fixing their tire, we should pray for the ambulance. We should pray for this. We should pray about... My kids teach me so much, and it is so humbling to see how quick they pray first. 
Their faith is amazing that way. And then we, I hear this sometimes, though, when I say go to God all the time. Go to Him first. Nothing too small. Go to Him. Then someone says, well, wait a minute. Doesn't God help those who, who help themselves? You've got to give yourself a, a good helper out. You've got to do this before He's going to step in. That's a verse you will find nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. That's a lie from the devil because it's causing you not to turn from God, which is what he wants to do, and causing you to go the other way, which is what the devil wants you to do. Don't turn to God. If you, if you want to maybe edit the statement, you could say it this way, much more appropriately and biblically true. God helps those who humble themselves. God helps those who humble themselves because they're humble enough to go to God and not think they can do it on their own. It takes more humility to say, not my way, but your way at the beginning before you try six or seven of your ways and see if they might work so you don't have to turn to God. Isn't that why we try? Well, if I could just handle it on my own. No, it takes humility to say, maybe I got a solution here somewhere, but God, you help me. I don't know what I'm doing. I have to imagine that as the power just blipped out here, the guys in the sound booth were like, Lord, please help us because we don't know what to do. And everybody ran back there and they got it all up and running and fixed. Right? We do that first. Pray first. It takes humility. Our God is not a God who wants us to exhaust all the other options first and then come knocking for help. Like, oh, well, I guess now I can help you. He wants us to seek him at the very beginning. He already knew we had the problems before we knew we had the problems. He wants to walk with us in the solutions of the problems. He wants to be highly involved with every single aspect of our life. So he calls us to him first. Also notice that Jehoshaphat did not start just soliciting from all kinds of advice, from all kinds of people. You know, even if they look like it's godly people, these are, these are my friends in church, these are the prophets, these are the advisors. He didn't go out and just start seeking from all of them first. Right? And then select the piece of advice. Okay, got all these options. I'm going to select the one I like the most. Oh, that's pretty good. I'll take, oh, two or three people, you know, they, they said that. Because it's not who says it the most. Right? He had already seen in that sin that I told you he got involved in, he had already seen King Ahab, who was the king up in Israel. So they, they had like a little peace summit. They got together, which in and of itself was already a little sticky. And he discovered that King Ahab had 400 prophets that were out in front of him all the time, out before the throne, prophesying everything King Ahab wanted to hear. And he had 400 people there. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not anybody here that listens to God? And King Ahab said, yeah, there's this one guy, but I hate what he says because he always says stuff I don't like. (laughs) Right? And and where where Jehoshaphat sinned is he kind of went along with a little bit of that instead of trusting God. And he learned a serious mistake. That went badly. Right? But don't we do that? I'm going to solicit from all these people and whatever I'm hearing from the most. If you want to hear what you want in this world, just go to the world and they'll tell you everything you want. And then you have in your mind everything you can do to, to justify it, right? We're guilty of this, aren't we? Or we even go to our, our brothers and sisters and we look for this sort of godly advice, and I put it in air quotes because we're kind of maybe getting good advice, but we're not really gravitating to what we know is from God, right? We want to justify ourselves in some way. Well, I heard this. This godly person said that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We want to dress it up as if it's God's decision for us or if it's God's calling, and it's no different than finding 400 prophets to tell us what we want to hear, even if there's one who tells us what we know is from God, but we choose not to listen. We do this, right? Well, I got this problem. I'm just going to keep talking to everybody until I hear what I want to hear. How do we know? 
How do we know when that's what we're doing? Because, you know, you want to seek godly advice. You want to hear from, maybe God is using the people. He used that one prophet to speak truth. How do we know when we're doing that? Here's the test. Because we'll hear from three or four people and recognize it's from God. And instead of stopping looking for more advice and going with that, even though we know we keep soliciting for more. Why, that, that definitely sounds like what the Bible says, but I'm gonna, I don't know, and we won't just do it. We'll sit in advice solicitation mode, thinking mode forever when we already have the answer and we already know. Or another way we know is we spend more time in conversation with people about our problems than we spend in time with conversation with God about our problems. We're seeking the people more than we're seeking prayer. More than we're, oh God, show us. Now I'll talk for six hours with all these people. Three seconds, six hours. That's how we know when we're having this problem. And a lot of times we're trying to justify behaviors we want to do and make them kind of dressed up to look godly and look righteous. Oh, it's probably okay I marry this unbeliever because maybe God wants it so that that unbeliever gets saved. Maybe, the, the, maybe this is God's way of saving this person I really want to marry. It's probably okay if I lie on my taxes because I, maybe I'll have a lot of extra money and I can use some of that money and give it to the church. Maybe that's what God's doing. We already have our answers. We already know. God's already spoken, and yet we're soliciting more because we're not actually looking to God. We want to dress it up. It's not what Jehoshaphat did. He didn't start there. He started with God. Finally, King Jehoshaphat was honest which shows a lot of humility. And, and we go, oh yeah, well, honesty's right. But put yourself in his shoes and his position. Think about this for a minute. That moment, there's three armies coming against us. And everybody looks to the king. What do we do? Oh, great king. Oh, protector. Oh, amazing ruler who we trust in. And what does he say? I don't know. I got no clue. Maybe we should pray. That's the moment when all of his political advisors just cringe. The polls are not going to go well with this one. That is not, we need some spin control here, people. Spin control. He didn't mean it like that. He didn't, that's not what he was trying to say. That was definitely what he was trying to say. But kings can't say that, right? You got to put up a strong front. You can't look weak. You've got to have all the answers. You've got to say things just right. You never say, I don't know. But Jehoshaphat was not like the political leaders of his day, nor was he like any political leaders of our day. He was humble, and we see that because he was honest. He was honest. He didn't know. That's why he called them to pray. But by calling them to pray, he was saying, God knows. He wouldn't have called them to seek the Lord if he didn't think God had an answer. He knew God had an answer. He was saying, the only thing I know to do is pray. Jehoshaphat was saying, don't look to me. I don't know. Which brings me to my third perspective, the third lane we're going to go down, and that is our attention. It says, we look to you. And they prayed. They looked to God. They gave their attention to God. When scary things happen, when difficult things come, right? really the big, difficult, hairy things in life, we look to the person that we believe is in charge and has the ability to help us, don't we? 
We look to someone. You see it in little kids. Something's happening. They look to their parents. Right? We look to the person who can actually help us. We look for the person with answers. It's the natural thing that we do. So when these things happen, who are we going to look to? This is what happens in our soul. This week, while my family was headed to Boise, going to see Grandma, we were involved in a 20-car pileup on I-84 that blocked the freeway for two and a half hours. Okay, it's exactly what you'd expect. It was foggy, icy, pretty soon brake lights, headlights, brake lights, cars smashing everywhere, piles of cars crashing, everybody trying to stop. We're trying to stop. Oh, no! Right? And, and by the grace of God, we were able to get over to where the rumble strip was, clearing just enough room, and another car was able to crash actually over here to allow a semi-truck driver who was going, not paying attention, going 50, 55 miles an hour, which was the speed we were all going on these conditions, not to stop, and literally hit the car that was right in front of us and blow them 50 feet out of this way and smash their car to smithereens. And, and, and I, as soon as all the cars were stopped, you know, you, you run over, you go check on them. And I look around and I just see chaos like all around me. I mean, it's a 20-car pileup, and then all the other cars that didn't get in a wreck were still slid off the road in every direction. It's just absolute chaos. What do you do? Right, what do you do? And I, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what? Well, what do we do? Now, I did pray, but I'll tell you, there's something very comforting about talking to a dispatcher and knowing there's somebody on another end of the line, help is on the way, I mean, getting information. It is very comforting when the police cars start getting through the wreckage and showing up, and now you have police officers, and everybody's just looking to the cops and looking to the firefighters and looking to the ambulance like, just, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to trust that guy. Right? That guy has some answers. Right, So we didn't make any decisions on our own. We looked to the first responders. We looked to the people who could help us in a crisis. And that's just an earthly situation. As Christians, we should always say, I'm going to look to God. Right? He might even bring those people. He brought the first responders. Right, We look to the people who can fix our problems, which should tell us quite a bit about who we're looking to in the world. Why bother? Most of them aren't going to fix your problems. Jehoshaphat said, this is bigger than me. This is way above my pay grade. This is outside of the scope of anything I have any handle on. Yes, he's been given a responsibility to be the king of the people of God, but this was beyond him. He says, look, I don't have the answers. I do not know. He understood that only God had the necessary understanding. I can't have a war on my north. Three countries on the south were completely surrounded by... I don't know. God knows. God has... The understanding, God has the knowledge, God has the perspective, and God had the power to deal with this coming attack. So we'd been sitting in this car, and at this point a big semi-truck was across the road and blocked everything. We couldn't see the wreck on the other side. But we, we see this semi-truck here, and we see all this stuff, and there's a police officer there. We're about an hour into the road being closed, and they're cleaning it all up, and Lisa goes, I have to pee. I'm like, me too. Shouldn't have had all that coffee as we were driving down the road. Huh. So I start looking. I'm like, you know, the cops are going around that semi-truck right there. It's, there's enough room on the shoulder. I mean, it blocked all the lanes. But there's enough room. You can kind of get off the road. You can kind of get around. I'm like, maybe we could... We weren't involved in the crash, right? Our car's fine. We're okay. So, so maybe we can get around the truck, and maybe we can go on to the, you know, go to the bathroom. So who am I looking to? The police. They're in charge, right? So... Police officer's over here, and I'm out at one point helping find a license plate or something. I can't remember. But anyway, I said, hey, would it be, we really could, you know, 
it'd be great if we could go to the bathroom. Could we just go around that truck? I'm sure we could fit, and we'll just get out everybody's hair. And he said, no, you have to wait. You have to wait. I kind of got in the car, and I was kind of bemoaning, like, how stupid. Like, these rules, is it too dangerous? Is he afraid we're, like, what? What's the big deal? I didn't have the perspective because there was a truck blocking my view. My view was, was limited, but he knew the whole situation. They have radios. He's been involved in the whole thing, and he knew that because the, other, the freeway going the other way was totally backed up because of all this, people slowing down, the whole thing. The freeway we were on was backed up for miles and miles and miles because everything was closed. They had taken that section of the road. There was about a mile strip in the ice, in the fog, to the next exit, and it now became a two-way pathway for all the emergency vehicles. Now the ambulances are coming the wrong way in the ice. All these people are communicating on radio. I'm not a part of any of that, and I didn't know that until they got the truck moved out of the way. And then I realized I didn't have the proper perspective. In my situation, the police officer did. They were part of the emergency response. In our big life problems, God has the perspective we don't have. He said, God, why can't we just do this? What about that? I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do that thing. I think I know best. And God goes, I've seen the beginning from the end. I knew it all before I laid the first brick when I made the earth. I know everything about your life. Will you trust me? Jehoshaphat was saying, we can trust God. He sees the problems better than we will ever see them or ever even understand them. And then in Jehoshaphat's situation, God specifically wanted his people to see something amazing. There was a purpose here that God had. He wanted them to see something amazing. I would encourage you to read if you have some time. It's really phenomenal. Chapter 17, all the way through the end of this, through the end of 20. But in 20 verse 17, we read about this very strange plan that God gives the people. Okay, He doesn't always work this way, but look at... Verse 17, God said, you don't have to fight this battle. Yay, that sounds great. Position yourselves, meaning like you're going to go down there. Oh, that doesn't sound so good. Position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. If you've read your Bible this year, maybe recently, you might recognize that language. You've heard that. We've heard this plan before, haven't we? Remember when God freed the Israelites from Pharaoh, but Pharaoh was mad and he sent the all the Egyptian army after them, and they got trapped between the Red Sea and the entire army of the Egyptians, the most powerful army of the world of that day, totally trapped. Do you remember what God said to them? Do you remember the plan? Exodus 14, 13. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that will be accomplished for you today. Same plan. Same exact plan. And in that situation, there was like a million people, a million uh, of the Israelites are all leaving, they're fleeing. I bet not a single one of those million would have guessed that God's plan was to part the Red Sea. Not one of them. Like, wow, did not see that. Right? That's not what I thought was about to happen. But God knew. God knew the whole time. He wasn't worried about it. In Jehoshaphat's situation, God told them, same language, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. See what God can do. See the magnitude of God. See the wonder of God. And what happened? So look over in uh, chapter 20. Look at verse 20. Listen to this. I'm going to read uh, verses 20 through 24. 2 Chronicles uh, 20, verse 20. And in the morning they got up early 
And they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they were about to go out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Now what a good king. Hear me, Judah, you and your inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. That was like this rallying cry of encouragement. Then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. When, when they went out in front of the armed forces, so did you catch that? The worship leaders and the singers are out in front of the army. Not a great pitch for joining the worship team, but... <laughs> you're going to sing praises and you're going to praise God. They kept singing. Here's what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. The moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir who came to fight against Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites, here's how it happened. The Ammonites and the Moabites turned against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and completely annihilated them. When they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, and get this, they helped destroy each other. When Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked for the large army, but there were only corpses lying on the ground. Nobody had escaped. I did not see that coming. I mean, they're probably like, did, did, did you see that coming? No, there's no way you saw that coming. Nobody saw You did not see that coming. Hey, King Jehoshaphat, you see that coming? He's like, nope, no idea. Nobody saw that coming. The three armies wiped each other out all the way down to the last man. Like literally everybody's laying there dead. The last two guys, Moabites and Ammonites, are like, all right, this is it. It's just down to you and me. And they both get each other at the exact same time and drop dead. You can't make that stuff up. God had a plan. There is no way that Jehoshaphat could have come up with that plan or executed that plan. But it was no problem for God, which is why they looked to God. Because he's got the whole thing worked out. God's people look to God, and then God gets glorified in it. Okay, it gets crazier. Okay, it, gets, it gets even crazier than that, because what happened at the Red Sea with God's plan, what happened on the battlefield of Tekoa, pale in comparison to what happened on a hill called Gagatha, where God had the most plot-twisting situation you could ever imagine, where the people that rebelled against him, you and me, rebelled against him. He said, I'm going to take the rebels' sin, their high treason, and I'm just going to go ahead and put that right on my own son, the king of kings and lord of lords, and I'm going to crush him to pay the consequences of that sin. Nobody saw that coming. Even Jesus said, listen, listen, this is what I'm going to do. And they're like, what? And then even he said, to prove that I am who I say I am, to prove that I have the power to save, I'm going to be raised on the third day. Even though he told them they didn't see that coming. They were shocked. They were blown away. God would crush his own son and raise him from the dead in one of the most plot-twisting stories of salvation ever. And what's our role? Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation the Lord has for you. What happened at the Red Sea and Tekoa, that was just physical, life now, nation stuff. What Jesus did was for your eternal soul. God had it all worked out. Don't be afraid. Look to God. And you will be saved. Maybe today is the day that you need to look to God. Maybe you've been working it out in your own plans and today is your day. 
If that's the case, come talk with us. Come chat with us. Most of us in here, we are God's people because we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, but that's what it means to think about this. It, you've surrendered your life to Jesus. You've given up your rights. You've given up your desires to call the shots. You've given all that up. And so that means you surrender and you look to God. When anything's going on, you go, okay, he's the guy in charge. I'm going to look to him. What, what do we got here? Going to do that. Say, I'm yours. And I'll always look to you, but sometimes we don't, do we? Sometimes we still get it all monkeyed up. We look to ourselves. We look to other people. We look to the world. We don't have it right. Those dumb times, just the, the worst, when like we sinfully look elsewhere. Here's the beauty of Jesus. He knows we're going to do that too. And he says, when you do that, look back to me. We'll fix it. Yeah, you got the relationship with Jesus all messed up. We'll fix it. If your relationship with Jesus is messed up, look to Jesus. That's how it gets fixed. He'll fix it. Maybe it doesn't look right right now, but if you look to him, it will. Maybe you've had some times and you've just gotten all messed up, but if you look to him, it'll be good. It'll be good. Stop trying to do it yourself. Trust Christ. Look to him. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. See the salvation that he has. So then when the next big thing comes, you know, just look to Christ. Because God's people look to God. So I have one challenge for us, church. Through all that, if God hasn't been speaking to you, uh, you know, just this. But hopefully he's been speaking to you through this. I want to challenge all of us to set our resolve, to set a resolution, to seek the Lord always. To let it be the siren when we are afraid to pray, to look to him. We don't know what to do, God, but we'll look to you. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful that you know better than we could ever know or will ever know. I am so grateful that you want us to be looking to you. I am so grateful that you show off in ways we could never predict or anticipate to show how amazing and glorious you are. Lord, some of us have had a pretty tough year. Some of us are maybe a little nervous for the year to come, but I'm asking that you would just set our hearts and our minds to look to you, to trust in you, because we know you're there. We know you're just waiting for us to turn to you. We don't know what the solutions are going to look like. We couldn't even guess. But we know you have the best in mind for us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.